From verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruits you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Well, we're going to start something uh, new this morning. We finished with Jeremiah a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Did a one-off, a couple of one-offs, and, uh, and now we can start a short series. Can we get the slides up, please? Um, we're going to start a short series called The Roots of True Faith. And uh, maybe that sounds a little bit obscure. In the passage, though, that Becky just read, um, Matthew 7, 17, Jesus uses this as a, a, a tree, as a picture of, of what it's like to have healthy, true, genuine faith. You get the metaphor, you know, if you're a tree, God wants that tree to grow healthy and strong uh, and bear lots of fruit in its branches, to be a, a good person, to have a good life, to do lots of good in the world. And at the end of your life, to enter the kingdom of heaven, the good place. Well, this, this short series, we're only going to do three weeks, and then I'm on holiday for three weeks, by the way. <laughs> But anyway, we're going to do three weeks. Um, and, uh, I, I, and in this short series, we're going to look at what, what kind of roots do you need to make a tree that will do that? What do the roots of true, genuine faith look like? Because it's possible to have false faith as well. There's true faith, but there's also false faith that that doesn't produce good fruit, and instead of leading to eternal life, actually leads to eternal death. It leads to stunted growth and bad fruit. We're going to start here. Where's my little clicker? There it is. Um, we're going to start here with this one verse, all right? 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says this. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. The problem is that some people's view of themselves is wrong. Is wrong. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. That there is an objective reality, there is an objective truth about whether you today, whatever your name might be, whatever seat you're sitting in, there is an objective truth and reality about whether you are a genuine Christian or not. Whether you are truly saved and on the way to heaven or not. And it's possible to be wrong in what you think. That's really important. You, this morning, you might be full of confidence, all right? So you, 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 might, you might be full of confidence. You might have far too much confidence, actually. You might believe with all sincerity that God will accept you and you'll go to heaven. But be completely wrong about that. Becky just read to us some of the scariest words in the whole of Scripture. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, said Jesus. On, on judgment day, some people say, Lord, Lord, I'm here. Many will say to me on that day, did we not prophesy in your name? And, and in your name drive out demons? And, and in your name perform many miracles? But Jesus says, for some, he will turn to them and say to them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. There may be people here today who think that when they die, they go and be with the Lord. Reality is, that's not true. And those verses, maybe there's no greater warning in the whole of Scriptures that, that, that he will say, uh, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. To be sent away from the source of life and light and hope. To be sent into outer darkness. My aim this morning is that for anyone here who is in that camp, for whom you, you, you have a great deal of confidence, my aim this morning is to strip away all that confidence. For, I, I, I want to leave you with, I want to demolish every ounce of confidence you have. I want to peel all that false faith away so that you can then find true faith in Jesus. That's what we're doing this morning. But just before we come on to that, there's an opposite problem to that as well. There, there may be people here, in fact I know for a fact there are people here, who are the opposite, they have far too little confidence, who are full of doubts, full of fears that, that Jesus won't accept you, full of worries about how pitiful your own faith is and how much you fail, and you feel very uncertain about the future. And yet you are truly saved. It's possible to be wrong in both directions. And, and, and my aim in this series, and next week actually, is, is to peel away those doubts and to make you therefore more fruitful and more happy and more confident and that you'd stop worrying. We'll come to that next week. The aim is to, have, to help each of us here 
to have a right view of yourself and your faith. So if, if this morning your faith is genuine, I want you to be deeply rooted in the truth of that and where that comes from and to know why it's real. And if you're trusting in the wrong thing, I hope and pray that by the end of today, at least at the end of three weeks, you'll know that as well. You know what? One implication of that verse is that you can know. You can know. Examine yourself, the Apostle Paul says. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. The, implica- the implication behind that is that, that there is a real test you can do. You can know. It is worth doing. You can know where you stand. It isn't meant to be a mystery. You don't have to live with uncertainty about faith. Now, I don't know that it will apply to many people in this room, but certainly some Christians feel that uncertainty is a great virtue. Some of you will remember, like 15, 20 years ago, the whole emergent church movement when that was a thing. Um, uh, some of you think, well, I don't know what you're on about, that's fine. Uh, but there were theologians, people like um, Brian McLaren, some of you will know that name, um, who, who described certainty as cancer. You know, he's a Christian theologian. He, just, he, he, he described, he said this, many of our world's worst atrocities are caused by overconfidence. In, in his mind, you should doubt scripture, you should doubt the future, you should doubt heaven, doubt hell, doubt everything. Otherwise, you'll end up arrogant and bigoted. That was his, that was where he was going with that. And his books, honestly, damaged and destroyed the faith of millions of people. That verse says to me very different. <laughs> that verse tells us that God wants us to be sure of faith. He wants us to know where we're going when we die. To know the truth of the scriptures. And in a, in a constantly shifting world, and it's shifting pretty quickly right now, isn't it? To, to know that we have an immovable rock to stand on and to be confident in that. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith, genuine faith, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we do not see. That's what faith is. The thing is, you can't see God, can you? You know, if, if you go around telling people you've seen God then, you know, they lock you up. You can't see heaven. You can't see the Lamb's Book of Life to see if you're in it. You, you, can't, you can't see the Holy Spirit. But God still wants you to be sure. He wants you to be certain. And there are ways that you can be sure and certain. So testing yourself, examining yourself is really important so that you know for sure whether you're a Christian or not. So how, how do you do that? How do you do that? It says there, test yourselves. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. That's the heart of the matter for today, really. 
Test yourself. Test, test yourself, not other people, okay? First of all. Um, but we're called to ask ourselves hard questions. So this morning, I want you to ask a question. Self, is Christ Jesus in me? It's quite a simple question, really, isn't it? Is Christ Jesus in me? Well, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? What do we mean by that? It, it means that the only thing, the most important thing, and actually the only thing that really counts is your relationship to Jesus. That's what defines whether you are a Christian or not. If you want to know whether you are genuinely in the faith, if you are genuinely a Christian and on your way to heaven, the, the, the thing that matters is all to do with Jesus. All to do with Jesus. Your attitude to Jesus, your view of Jesus, your relationship to Jesus. We'll come to that, but if you were to go out of here this morning and do a bit of a survey with people on the street... Um, and ask them, well, what makes a Christian? They would probably come back with a whole bunch of different answers, wouldn't they? A whole bunch of different answers. Maybe the, the one that people would say most commonly is this one. A Christian is someone who comes to church. Easy. There are plenty of people, aren't there? Plenty of people who sit in church week by week and enjoy the... I don't just mean here, I mean across the, the country, across the world... Every country on earth, people who come to church week by week, it's just part of their culture. It's part of what you do. I know some, some of you, especially I think international students, I know some of you, when you get home this afternoon or tonight, you're going to get a call from your mum saying, were you in church this morning? Yeah, is that right? Yeah, I know, I know it's true because some of you told me. And, and, and it's, just, it's so much part of your family culture, you must go to church, you must go to church. There are plenty of others who enjoy the music, you know, they, they, they you know, singing when it's, when it's loud, when it's led well, you know, they enjoy that. You know, they, they come to church and, 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 and make friends with people and, and actually they really enjoy making friends with good people, people they feel they can trust. You know, and that's not a bad thing, is it? Some of you, it's just kind of what you've always done. You know, you first came to church when you were like Grace's little baby this morning, about three weeks old, and you haven't left since. You know, it's just what you do. But you know what? Hanging around in church buildings with Christian people doesn't make you a Christian. Hanging around with Christians in Christian buildings does not make you a Christian. Someone once said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Being in church, that's not part of the test. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Some people would say, well, I admire Jesus. I like Jesus. I, 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 does anyone listen to the... Um, uh, the Rest is History podcast. It's just me. 
really uncultured lot. It's the number five most listened to podcast in the UK right now. Okay, I thought this was going to be a culturally relevant uh, example. I guess not. So anyway, so you've not heard of Tom Holland then? One or two. Yeah, someone heard of Tom Holland. Okay, he's on the TV. He's a great historian. Um, anyway, he, he wrote a gr- he's written several really interesting books. He wrote one called Dominion, um, which is all about, he demonstrates very, very clearly the whole of Western civilization, everything we hold dear, whether it's uh, human rights or rights for women or civil liberties, the rule of law, freedom of expression, everything. He tracks it back down to the teachings of Jesus. And he said, he, he just, it, it's an amazing book. He shows very clearly that everything we hold dear as Western Europe, Western culture, is rooted in the person and the teachings of Jesus. He's not a Christian. He admires Jesus immensely. He thinks Jesus has, has done amazing good in our world. Not a Christian. Some of you know Jordan Peterson. He's an interesting guy, isn't he? If you've seen any of his stuff. I don't think he's a Christian yet either. But he, you know what, he, he's done a, he does, a, um, I think it was last year he did a lecture series in the UK, sold out theatres, um, going through the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. Two hours of going through the book of Genesis. Not a Christian. <laughs> but he admires the Bible. He admires Jesus immensely. Happened in Jesus' day as well. At one time, some soldiers uh, said this. So they, said, they said, no one ever spoke the way this man speaks, talking about Jesus. Not followers, though. All through Mark's Gospel, you get people who admire Jesus. They're all amazed at Jesus and everything he does. Very few followed. You, you know what, this morning you can admire Jesus, you can think Jesus is a great teacher, a great leader, a great prophet, a healer, even the Son of God, and still not be a Christian. Or being a good person. You remember the fa- parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? If you know your Bible, Luke 18, this uh, Pharisee, he stands at the front of the temple and says, God, thank you that I'm not like these other people. <laughs> thank you that I'm not a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer I'm not even like this tax collector because I fast twice a week I gave a tenth of all I get you know what I don't think he was lying I think he actually was a really good person you know well, you might say he was a bit arrogant a bit full of himself for sure but I don't think he was lying about fasting twice a week or or, you know, I mean, that's pretty serious religion, isn't it? If you fast twice a week. You know, I don't think, it, don't think he was lying when he said, I give away 10% of everything I get. You know, he was a good person, really good person. The Pharisees were, were the best people you'd ever meet. Honestly. Was he saved according to Jesus? No. Was he going to heaven? No. Who was? The filthy scumbag tax collector. Who, who, who said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. He went to heaven. Not because he was a good person, though. He was a terrible person. <laughs> really terrible person. But he ended up going to heaven. The point is, being good doesn't make you a Christian. Having a tender conscience doesn't make you a Christian either. 
You know what? You can feel the weight of sin on your shoulders. You can feel terribly guilty and not be a Christian. Do you know who it was who said, I have, this is in the Bible, um, I have sinned for I have betrayed innocent blood. You all know who said those words? It was Judas. Judas Iscariot. After he betrayed Jesus to death. He felt the weight of guilt on his shoulders. He felt terrible and so he should. Didn't follow. Wasn't saved. There was a, a Roman governor called Felix who knew a bit about Christianity in the book of Acts 20 something, 4, 3, someone will know. Um, he invites the Apostle Paul to come and, to come and uh, explain who this Jesus is and explain how it all works, explain about Christian faith. And as the Apostle Paul speaks about righteousness, what's right and what's wrong, and, and self-control, and judgment. Felix, it says, was afraid. You know, my guess is he started to feel the weight and guilt of his own sin. I don't expect Roman governors were particularly exemplary in their character. You know, as the Apostle Paul starts talking about self-control, I don't think Roman governors were particularly known for self-control. And he says to Paul, Go away, I've had enough of you. Doesn't want to hear any more of that. Doesn't follow. You can be aware of sin, you can feel guilty. Maybe you know what? Maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel the weight of things that you've said and done and even thought on your shoulders today. Maybe you just feel terrible about something that happened last night or last week or last month or 20 years ago. Just because you feel terrible about it, that doesn't save you. That doesn't make you a Christian. There are, I think there are lots of people who think it does. And I, I have to say, I, I think among, among people with a Roman Catholic kind of background, that kind of just feeling guilty all the time is, is, is kind of par for the course, really. You know, that doesn't make you a Christian. <laughs> it might be a necessary step, but that isn't what saves you. Maybe this is close to home for some others. Experiencing the supernatural. Maybe, maybe you've, you've had some crazy spiritual experiences. And I know, I know some of you have. And some of you haven't at all. And that's absolutely fine. We'll talk about that another time. But Matthew 7. Do you, do you remember what, what Becky read for us a few minutes ago? Many will say to me, Jesus says, many, many will say... Lord, Lord, did we, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and perform many miracles. There'll be people on Judgment Day who say, but, but Lord, I, I experienced the supernatural. I, I felt your presence. I saw demons cast out of someone. You know, I even did that myself. You know, how, how can you say I don't belong to you, Jesus? How can you say that I'm not a genuine Christian, how can you say that my, my faith isn't real? I, 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 I went to a supernatural school of ministry. I, I saw miracles, I did miracles, I invoked your name all over it. Jesus says, I, I didn't know you. 
Hebrews 6 talks about those people who have shared in the Holy Spirit and the powers of the coming age. In other words, people who've experienced the power of God, have have witnessed the, the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and yet are not saved, not genuine Christians. Well, this one, you can even know and love the Bible and not be saved. Remember Jesus in the parable of the sower? Uh, he talks about some people who hear the word and at once, at once receive it with joy. Wow. People who are big Bible fans love the Bible. Receiving it with joy. But you know what? The problem is, no root. And it lasts only a short time. It's, it's genuine joy. They really enjoyed the word. They enjoy being in church. They enjoy finding out about Christianity. But it doesn't go anywhere because they're not genuinely saved. Hebrews 6 talks about people who've tasted the goodness of the word. But there's no genuine faith. And they're not genuine Christians. You can genuinely love the Bible. You can genuinely uh, love the stories, love digging in, love doing Bible studies, enjoy solving Bible riddles, um, even memorise bits of the Bible and not be a genuine Christian. So what are we saying? What are we saying? That's quite a list, isn't it? I could add a few more, but I won't. Well, you know, you, you can know the Bible, you can know lots of Christians, you can, you, you can know how to behave in church, you can know the songs, you can, you can know deep conviction of sin, you can know that God is here, you can know that Christians are good and right, you can know judgment is coming, you can know baptism, you can know that miracles happen, you can know all kinds of things, but unless you know Jesus, it doesn't count for anything. Nothing else matters except you know Jesus. I'm trying to just peel away everything else. And, and you know, all, those things are good things. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> They're all good things, aren't they? You know, to love the Bible, that's a great thing. You know, to, to, to experience the supernatural presence of God, that's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> to admire Jesus, that's an absolutely good thing. But none of those things saves you. None of those things makes you a Christian. So what does count? What really matters? The test is, is Jesus in you? Is Jesus in you? That's the question to ask. That's how you examine yourself. Is Jesus at the very core of who you are? Ask yourself, what makes you tick? What makes you tick? What's the real you? Once you strip away everything else, what's at the core of you as a person? Is it Jesus or not? Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. What is the will of the Father? It's to know his Son and obey his Son. 
lavisa. And what God said at the, the transfiguration, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. In the passage Becky read, um, it goes on after that little passage, it goes on to talk about the man who built a house on the rock or on the sand. You know that story? We, you know, if you've ever been to Sunday school as a kid, you'll know that story, won't you? Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's having Jesus in you. That's having Jesus in you. Building your life on him. Where, where his word forms and shapes your life. Where he is the core of what it means to be you. It's not enough to just listen. You have to do what it says. But if you do that, if you do that, Whatever storms may come, including death itself, including judgment, you will stand. Because you've got a strong foundation to stand on then. Or do you fail the test? What, what are you building on this morning? Are you, are you building on your church going? Is that what you're working on? Waking yourself up to being here every Sunday, on time? You're building your hope on your experiences or your admiration of the Bible. If Christ is not in you, if he's not your only hope, if, if, if he's not the rock you're building on, then one day that will come crashing down. One day that will come crashing down. We're going to share communion this morning. I'm just going to move over here a little bit. And the techie guys are going to panic because their camera doesn't point in the right place anymore. Today's a perfect day for sharing communion. Let me tell you why. Because it's a beautiful picture of Jesus in you. It is. Jesus said um, that, that when, when you... Oh, he, he commanded his people to do this, didn't he? To break bread together. To drink wine together. It says that Jesus, um, after, he prayed, he, he, uh, after he prayed and gave thanks, he, he broke the bread and said, This is my body. This is my body, which is for you. His body broken. Torn apart for us. For our sin. Because of our sin. And, and he talked about um, the wine at the meal. And he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. It's easy to see the symbol, isn't it? Because of the colour. But it, it, it's really the imagery is taken from the Old Testament. Where in the Old Testament they had... Um, sacrifices at the temple and, and um, animals were sacrificed um, on the altar and their blood was poured out on the altar for the forgiveness of sin or because of sin 
But of course, the, the blood of all those animals. All, and if you read through the Old Testament, you see there were, there were thousands and thousands, on big festivals, there were thousands and thousands of animals were slaughtered at the altar. It must have been like a bloodbath, honestly. But it, it says that, that the blood of bulls and goats could never actually take away sin. All they were is a, a picture pointing forward to the real sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice of the Son of God himself, whose blood was poured out for sin. That he was pierced for our transgressions. He was um, crushed by our iniquities. He was entirely innocent, but took upon himself all of our sin and received the penalty that we all deserve for our sin. All the punishment that we deserve for everything you've ever done wrong in your whole life, every, every word you've spoken that's been wrong, every attitude you've had in your mind, every thought that you've had, every lustful thought it said in one of our songs earlier. Every single sin, big or small, put onto the shoulders of Jesus. And he receives the penalty and the judgment that we deserve for all that we've done wrong, even though he was entirely innocent. So the question today is, is very, very simple. Is Jesus in you? Have you asked him in? Have you asked him in? Have you asked him into your heart? Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you asked him to save you? I was speaking to someone just a couple of weeks ago. And they've been coming to this church for a long time. A long time. And they, they'd never done that before. <laughs> Have you asked him in today? Have you asked him to forgive you? Have you asked God to save you? Oh, if you haven't, to make today the day. Make today the day that you do that. Or you just pray to him. And, and you, you don't need anybody else. No one else needs to be involved. But just say to him, Lord, please rescue me. I'm a sinner who needs forgiveness. Just please come in. I want you to take me and forgive me and clean me up and fix me. And if you do that, you can be confident about your salvation. You can be confident. You know why? Because it's not based on your performance anymore. It's not, it's not based on how you've done today. It's not about how good I've been. Have I admired Jesus enough today? <laughs> doesn't matter. Have I, have I memorised enough Bible verses? doesn't matter. Have I been into church enough times this month? doesn't matter. Have I experienced enough supernatural things? doesn't matter. question is, am I building on the rock that is Jesus? Is he in me and am I in him today? And if the answer is yes, you can be confident as a Christian. When we share communion together, and maybe this morning as you put that little bit of bread into your mouth and you put that little cup to your lips. This can be really significant. What, what you're saying when you do that is, 
is you're taking what happened at a cross 2,000 odd years ago. Jesus suffering, his death, and you're, you're saying, Lord, I want that to be applied to me. I'm doing this physical thing that shows that, that isn't just a long time ago, this is today. What you did back then, I want to apply that to me today. I want, I want to nourish myself with all that Jesus achieves at the cross. I, 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 want, I want all the, all the benefits of what he did to, to be in me. I want Jesus in me. You're saying, I don't want this just to be abstract truth somehow. I want to know it in here. I want to take this into, into me, into the deepest, darkest recesses of who I am. I want it to be as real as this breath and this wine here today. What you're doing when you take that little bit of bread into your mouth and take that cup to your lips is you're saying, Lord, I need this. I need you to keep me going spiritually. I need to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for my sin. I need to be reminded of that. I need to have the truth of that alive in me. I need to have that every day. I need that to be the thing that nourishes me, that feeds me. This is my living water. This is my bread of life. This is what I need to have to keep me going. You're saying, you're saying, um, I, I'm, I want more of you. You're saying, I hunger and thirst for you, Jesus. I want to be filled by you. I, you're saying, I, I want to admit that you are the only one who can fulfill my deepest desires. I need you to fill me because I'm empty otherwise. With everything else in the world that I could buy or spend or achieve or reach somehow, any goals or ambitions I might have, nothing will satisfy. But Jesus will. And when you take that little bit of bread in your mouth and that cup to your lips, you're saying, I want you to satisfy me completely, Lord. And I think it's significant that these were just the, the staple food of everyday life in first century Israel and many places across the world today. It's just bread, it's just wine, it's just juice. You say, this is my staple food. Meditating on the cross. And all that he achieved there is just basic food for Christian life. And there are all kinds of extra spiritual morsels that we might get to enjoy but the cross is the main thing this is the very core the very basis of all things i think for most of us today most of us today are christians and, and i'd encourage you to take and eat and i really hope we've got enough we may not <laughs> but i'd encourage you to take and eat this is a helpful reminder to you to what Jesus, for what Jesus has done for you, to save you. It may be that there are some here, um, perhaps, perhaps you're going to take communion for the first time. And if you're following Jesus as your Lord, you know what, if you've, if you've prayed that prayer, and I don't care what else is going on in your life, doesn't matter how you feel about your spiritual condition. If you've asked Jesus to save you, 
with all humility and honesty, that you should take this. You should take this. And maybe, maybe for someone here today, it's a testimony in itself. You're saying, yeah, this is, this is where I'm going. This is the road I'm walking down now. I'm walking with the Lord Jesus. It might be there are some here, though, who, who maybe, I don't know, maybe you've been dragged along by a friend this morning or coerced by a parent and, uh, and you, 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 you're not a Christian. You know you're not a Christian. And that's fine. I'm pleased you're here. I'm really glad you're here. I hope you enjoy the service and find it helpful to you. I hope that God speaks to you. But you don't need to take this, all right? This, this is for those who are walking with Jesus. So if you know you're not, then I'd say, get right with him now and then take it. <laughs> but if you're not going to do that, then don't take it at all. All right? Because he just makes a bit of a mockery of it. So, we're going to eat and we're going to drink together. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken for us at the cross. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us at the cross. And Lord, we come to you today not trusting in anything in us whatsoever except Jesus. There's nothing in us that would commend us to you except Jesus. Jesus in us. Lord, thank you that you've invited us. And therefore we come. I'm going to put the words of prayer of confession on the screen. Should we say these words through together? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbours as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name through Christ our Lord.